We are grateful, Father, that all scripture is inspired by you and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The scriptures furnish us. They complete us. They give us what we need. We hear so many people these days. We hear people, we hear guys on TV always, people are always saying they had a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord. Well, we have a word from the Lord. And it's sure and it's certain. We are grateful for the Bible. We we are grateful that this book is God-breathed. That you breathed it out. And your spirit used the personalities of these different writers. And through their personalities, which you prepared and you prepared them, you use their unique styles, but it's, it's, it's your word. And we find ourselves... Once again, we're back on a Wednesday, and a lot has happened in the last seven days. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it expected, some of it shocking. But nevertheless, we never know what a day will bring. And because we are coming from different situations and different experiences, and we've had different things occur in these last seven days, some of us uh, need different things than we needed last week. All scripture isn't inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. We need, we need those things in our lives. Perhaps we have drifted this week. Perhaps we've gotten off the path. We need to be reproved. We need to be pulled back. We need to be corrected. We all need to be trained in righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that that you never stop teaching. You never stop instructing. You never stop counseling us. Some of us are at a point where we we are desperately in need of guidance because we are not sure about our next step. And you said in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's a promise. But then you say, don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep keep them in check. Lord, you've promised to show us. You've promised to lead us. You've promised to direct us. But you don't want us to be stubborn. You don't want us to fight you. When you you nudge us to the left, you don't want us to, to, to try to go right. Not my will, but thine be done. So even as we seek guidance, soften our hearts. Help us to get ourselves, as Tozer said, into a place where, above everything else, we prefer the will of God. Not what we want, not what we desire, but what you would desire. We thank you that we have a sure word from you. We thank you that we have a a consistent word from you. And we're all fighting different battles. When we fight, and when we fight, and when we fight, we get fatigued, and our morale can begin to diminish. Encourage us tonight. Build us up. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstance. Give us, Lord, give us a truth that will just fit exactly the need in our lives tonight. For each guy, I would pray that. May we walk out of here encouraged because we've heard from you. And we would ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Before we go to Ephesians 6, I'd like you to take the hymnal that should be on the back of your chair if you're in the front row underneath the chair and turn to hymn number 151. We're not going to sing. We could, but we're not. This is, uh, this is a hymn that Martin Luther wrote when he was in one of the great spiritual battles of all of history because God had chosen Martin Luther to stand up against a system of false teaching. What's up? You got some lights on? Um, let's just let it burn out. What the heck? I mean, you know, if they can't take care of their own truck. What does that say? Lights on truck, HHI 9675 or S. So if that's you, we don't know. Doesn't say. Huh? We don't know anything, Roger. We don't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I was rolling, and I uh, the, the truck thing. I hope they I hope they tow your truck away. I'm just being honest. This is Martin Luther. He would he'd, he'd get a bulldozer and destroy your truck. No. That's that must be spiritual warfare. It's very subtle. I don't know. Luther did, Martin Luther did fight one of the great spiritual battles of all of history because he stood up against the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that said you're justified by works. And, and he spent years and years trying to be justified by works, by doing good deeds. And he could never find forgiveness. And as you know the story, he was reading the book of Romans and the Lord illumined that passage where it says the just shall live by faith. And he realized that we are forgiven of our sins, not by what we do, but what, by what Christ did on the cross. He paid for our sins. And then he stood up against the uh, corruption that was in the Roman Catholic Church at that time. Uh, they were selling indulgences, trying to build the cathedrals. And uh, they taught something called purgatory, uh, which is not in the Bible. Jesus spoke of heaven, Jesus spoke of hell, but there's no purgatory, there's no, there's no limbo land, there's no neutral land. And the idea was, well, you pay X amount and your relatives in uh, purgatory, or if you go to purgatory, you pay a, a thousand guilders or whatever it is, and that's a thousand years off of purgatory. It was a corrupt system. He stood up against it. And he fought unbelievable spiritual warfare. His life was on the line. Uh, he wrote a hymn. It's in your hymnal, Psalm 151. I want us to read the words of this because it encapsulates so much theology. We're studying Ephesians 6 on spiritual warfare. And Martin Luther managed in this hymn, uh, based primarily on Psalm 46, our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. He wrote this hymn, but it encapsulates what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. He says this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. How does Ephesians 6.10 begin? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his, what? Might. Okay? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. 
Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. We're suffering. We're under attack. For still our ancient foe, that's the devil, that's Satan, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal because he is the God of this world. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name. He's Lord of the Sabbath. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. We are in a battle. But the battle is the Lord's. We don't fight by ourselves. Verse 3, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's great theology. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. That's theology, that's truth. They were trying to kill this guy, and he said, I don't know if they'll kill me or not. But God's word abideth still. Ephesians 6, verse 10. If you're not there, if you'd turn there, please. I've mentioned to you that um, it's going to take us a while to work through these 10 verses. I mentioned it took Martin Lloyd-Jones 52 sermons to get through 10 verses took William Gurnall and his little, uh, not little, that's, boy, is that the wrong term. It took William Gurnall 1,200 pages to cover 10 verses. They were double columns, so the equivalent of 2,400. I was reading today John Bunyan. Uh, when we think John Bunyan, we think of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is the best-selling book in the history of the world other than the Bible. Second best-selling book of all time is Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan was put in prison for 12 years. They said you can go out anytime. You can be released any day you want to be released as long as you promise not to preach the gospel. He couldn't do it. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So while he was in there, he had a day cell and a night cell. You can visit that little museum in Bedford, England, where they had him imprisoned. And he had a day cell and a night cell, and uh, two cells. The night cell is where he slept, but the day cell, they gave him a desk and pen and paper, and so he wrote books. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote another one called The Holy War. The Holy War is all based on the strategies of the devil. It's all based on Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. This is significant, um, this is significant stuff that we're looking at in these passages. Uh, we'll read the passage again, but we'll just again deal, we're still in 10 and 11. We're, we're just going to take our time. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you recall, if you've been with us in our study, we mentioned that when you look at the background of Satan and who he is, if you look at Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, he was the, the most beautiful of the angels. He's a created being. He's not equal with God. He can't be in more. He can only be in one place at one time. Uh, but in his heart, he desired to be God. And in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, uh, those verses are addressed to earthly kings. But when you read the descriptions that are given in both sections, the descriptions that are given, the power that is attributed to those kings, they cannot be earthly kings. It has to be someone else. And we've mentioned that behind the earthly king uh, is a shadowy, silent uh, adversary, Satan. You see, this is uh, why it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When you see a ruler, when you see a political leader who is opposed to the work of God, behind him stands the devil and, and his bureaucracy. Just know that. Verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And then we get into the armor. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you lose your footing in battle, you're in big trouble. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He's always shooting flaming arrows at us to discourage us, to scare us, to put us into depression and to put us into despair. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. In this day and age, in the evangelical church, we have too many preachers that don't want to be bold. They want to be well-liked. They want to be accepted by everybody. Um, they don't want to rock the boat. But let me tell you something. Paul said, you pray for me that I would declare the gospel boldly. And when you have a pastor uh, that, that declares the word of God boldly, uh, he's going to get some emails. And not all of them are going to be favorable. But we thank God for so many pastors who, who declare the word of God without apology, boldly. They just lay it out there. And the spirit of God uses that. Now we're back in 10 and 11 tonight. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says to us, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. <laughs> When, when you talk about the schemes, and we need to be aware, we need to be aware, number one, that there's a battle. We, we need to be aware that this is serious stuff. And as we have pointed out, that when you get serious about following Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. If you are not serious about Christ, he already has you neutralized. But when you're serious about following the Lord and giving him first place in your life, and, and about getting to know him and getting to know the scriptures and then taking the truth of the scriptures and applying them to your life. 
Christianity is just not a head game. It's a head and heart game. Uh, there is knowledge, but it's knowledge that is to be applied. Uh, it, it, it involves our whole life, all that we have. It is not just an intellectual understanding or an intellectual assent. It, it involves the whole man. And it is to be worked out in our lives. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now note this, that passage of Philippians doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the work that Christ has started in our lives, he has brought us to eternal life, he's redeemed us, he's regenerated us, he has brought us to himself, he's given us new hearts. Now we're in the process. That's birth, now we've got to grow. And because now we have a desire to grow, we have an adversary who hates Christ, he hates the purposes of Christ. He hates the plan of Christ. Well, I'm part of the plan of Christ now. And God has a purpose for my life as I follow him. So because the adversary hates Christ, he also hates me. And as I follow Christ, he's going to come after me because I'm part of the purpose and plan. And if he can befuddle me, if he can sidetrack me, if he can get me to live one way at church and another way completely uh, at my place of work or at my place of uh, home where I live with my family, then there's a disconnect. But you see, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the truth of God and we're trying to apply it. We're trying to put it into practice. We're trying to grow in our faith. Uh, growth in the Christian life is not fast. Growth in the Christian life is slow. It takes time. But count on this. If you love Christ and if you put Christ first in your life, uh, you, you will experience the schemes of the devil. Uh, what I want to do tonight is show you some ways in which he will specifically attack us. I'm going to give you several. I'm not going to tell you up front how many I'm going to give to you because I'm not sure how many I'm going to cover. But, let's, but I'll give you number one because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to number one here. <laughs> number one. He will attack your mind. He will attack your mind. Therefore, guard your mind. He will attack your mind, therefore guard your mind. Uh, Romans chapter 12. One of the specific schemes of Satan is to attack us in our mind and in our thinking. The mind is such a critical part of Christianity. In Romans chapter 12... We're in Ephesians, and if you'll just flip back a few books, you'll find Romans 12 simply says this. Verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When it says the world, it's not necessarily talking about the earth and everything that, you know, it's talking about the world forces. It's talking about the, the world forces in the world that are against the Bible, that are against God, that are against Christ. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, there, there is a world system, is what we're talking about. And, and, and we're part of the world system before we come to know Christ. But when Christ comes into our lives and redeems us and regenerates us, and we say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
once again, we are now born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in, uh, what was it, John chapter 3. Isn't it 3? Yeah, John 3. Yeah, we've now become born again. So we're not of the world. We, we, are, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And the difference is, is that our hearts and our minds have changed. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. Flip over to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. There, there are a number of different ways that the enemy seeks to attack us in our mind. And uh, this is one reason Martin Lloyd-Jones took 52 sermons to teach this passage. I, I, I have read through those 52 sermons, and I've been reading through them again. And in the last week, I read the chapter on the schemes of the devil. And, and he, he, of course, brings up the fact that he'll try to attack your mind. So he has a chapter on... Uh, he has a chapter on heresies. On heresies. If you look at the history of the Christian church, false teachers would rise up, and, and you even see this in the epistles. You would have false teachers in the epistles, and so Paul would write the epistles, and what was he doing? He was correcting the strategies of the devil, because someone got up with a counterfeit. Someone got up with a heresy, and Paul would say, no, no, that's not right. Even if we or an angel from heaven should appear to you, Preaching a different, different gospel, don't believe him. That's Galatians chapter 1. When you read through the epistles, you see that the enemy was trying to attack these local churches uh, through his schemes. And one of the schemes is, was to attack their thinking and to get them off the word of God. So Paul would write to correct it. So from day one in the Christian church, you see uh, this spiritual battle going on. So he has a chapter on heresies. He's got another one on counterfeits because the enemy's always trying to counterfeit the work of God. Then he has one on cults and the different cults that we have around today. Nothing's new under the sun. Uh, basically, all of the heresies of the cults appeared in the first 300 years of church history. They just repackage them today. I mean, this stuff goes on forever. In 2 Corinthians 10... Paul is talking about, uh, look, at, look at verse 3. For though we, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There are false teachings, there are he says, don't be deceived by empty deception, by philosophy, by the wisdom of the world. We're taking every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So you see how critical the mind is? The mind is the center of the warfare, if you will. He's going to try and miss with your mind. He's going to try and give you wrong information. He's going to try and give you wrong teaching. You're like, well, my gosh, that's a little frightening. That's a little wrong. How, how do you fight that off? Well, we have an offensive weapon, which we're going to study down the road in a few weeks. You take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Perhaps you've heard this, and it's a, it's, it's a truism. Uh, at least in the early years of the Secret Service, and they would be the ones who would go after the counterfeiters, when they were trading those agents, they would not ever show them a counterfeit bill. But they would show them only 
genuine bills. They would take them into the printing press and they would get them so familiar with the paper, with the texture, with the ink. Never ever showed them a counterfeit bill. They got them so familiar, they inundated their mind with the fabric and the texture and the look and the feel of a genuine bill that when an agent came across a counterfeit, he would immediately recognize it. Now that's how you fight off in your mind the deception of the enemy. You fill your mind with the Word of God. The Word of God is central. But, but, but you can't fight off deception, you can't fight off heresy without the Bible. Psalm 119. Flip over there if you would. Shows you the importance of the mind and the importance of the word of God. And see, the enemy, he has all kinds of different strategies. He has all kinds of different schemes. Um, he is relentless. I'm often asked, um, what, what's, what's the greatest temptation that men face? Um, well, right at the top, there's got to be sexual temptation because we're men. And we fight it all of our lives. All of our lives we fight it. I remember years and years ago, I think I was in Indiana, I was at a Bob Evans restaurant. And I'm having breakfast. And I'm just eating breakfast, and, yeah, what is it, 6.45, 7, I don't know. And an older guy came in, probably in his mid-80s. You could tell he was a regular. They all said hi to him, and he sits down over at his booth. And I, I could see him. He was right across from me, several rows. And I'm just eating breakfast, looking at the sports page. And the waitress comes over, and she says, hey, you know, Frank, you know, whatever the guy's name is, and pours him some coffee, and then she comes back. And she says, are you ready to take your order? And he reaches up, grabs this woman, about 40, and kisses her full on the lips. And it was shocking. And she, you know, dropped her uh, menu and everything. And she says, Mr. such and such, what are you doing? And, you know, dirty old man. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's just kind of shocked. What is wrong with that guy? He's 85 years old. That sucker's still scheming. He'd been thinking about her for the last 48 hours. Sucker was salivating. He was drooling when he came in. They brought the manager over. He read the guy off. They, you know, don't ever do that again. Don't ever come in here again and do I mean, it was, it was bad. He made himself look like an utter and total fool. Sexual temptation uh, never goes away, but it starts early, doesn't it? Look at Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question. Ah, by keeping it according to thy word. What do you do with the word of God? You put it in your heart, you put it in your mind. Look at verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Isn't that interesting? You see, because when it talks about the heart, it's also talking about the mind. Derek Kidner says this about the word heart. 
that we'll look at in a minute over in Proverbs 4. I'm getting ahead of myself, but Kidner says this. He says, uh, the word heart most commonly stands for mind, but it can go beyond this to represent the emotions, the will, and the whole inner being. So in the Hebrew context, when it talks about heart, it's talking about you. It's talking about the essence of you. It's talking about your mind. It's talking about your heart. It's talking about your will. It's talking about your emotions. It's talking about your conscience. It's talking about you. The guts of you is represented by the heart. That's why he says down in verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. See, we want to put the word of God in. We want to feed on the word of God. We put it on our minds. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How is it? How is it? You go back to Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world. I used to live a certain way, but now I want to follow Christ. Uh, Ephesians says, let him who steals, steal no longer. What's going to happen? How is my behavior going to be changed? My behavior is going to be changed as my thinking is changed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So number one, you're going to have to guard your mind because he's going to attack your mind. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to see if I can pull this off. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you four more. All right? You might want to jot these down and then I'm going to circle back to each of them. He's going to attack your heart, therefore guard your heart. That's one of his schemes. And we'll go to Proverbs 4 on that in a minute. Here's the second thing. He's going to attack your speech, so guard your speech. That's also Proverbs 4. He's going to attack you through your eyes, therefore guard your eyes. That's Proverbs 4. He's going to attack you through your feet, believe it or not. Therefore guard your feet. That's Proverbs 4. I'll show you that in a minute. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs in a minute. But before I go to Proverbs, I want to set this up by showing you contextually another one of the schemes of the devil. We're in Ephesians 6. In a minute, we're going to go to Proverbs 4. But in a few, are you guys still with me? Okay. We're in Ephesians 6 10. Now, contextually, Paul says, as he's wrapping up this, this book of Ephesians, in verse 10, he says, finally then, so he's wrapping it up. But just prior to that, he's been talking about, and I touched on this last week, he's been talking about the filling of the Spirit or the control of the Spirit. Um, in 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that's excess, that's dissipation, that's a waste. Somebody who's drunk with wine is controlled by wine. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea of being filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And then he talks about, and again, we touched on this last week, he talks about the different signs. 
the different evidences of being filled with the Spirit. And after talking about our speech in 19 and 20 and our attitudes of giving thanks in all things, when you're not controlled by the Spirit, you're complaining. You're kind of ticked off with God and your lot in life. But when you're controlled by the Spirit, it changes your perspective, and you're always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus to God, even the Father. And then he moves into family relationships, and he talks about wives. Because you see, uh, he wants us us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not just at church. And and there's a lot of stuff these days in our culture about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll do certain, you'll raise your hands, or you'll do this, or you'll be... um, He doesn't get into all that. You know what he gets into? He goes right into our homes. And he talks about wives who are filled with the Spirit, who are controlled by the Spirit in 22. Then in 25, he talks to husbands who are controlled by the Spirit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, Notice verse 4 of chapter 6. I find this very interesting. He says, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He wants Christian fathers to be controlled by the Spirit of God in their relationship with their children. I want to tell you something. Here is another scheme of the devil. is to get fathers to live in such a way that they are not consistently applying the scriptures in their homes, in their relationships with their kids. It can take a number of different ways. A father can get too harsh. A father can get too hard. A father can get too authoritarian. Uh, You know what harsh fathers do? When a father is always hard, when a father is always harsh, you know what it does? It angers a child. You can't win with him. You can never get his approval. Some of you guys had dads like that. I've met guys that are 50, 60, 70 years old that are still trying to win the approval of their fathers, and their fathers have been dead for 30 years. That's a curse to put up. And, and, if, you, and if, you have a, if you had a father that was harsh, that was just tough as nails, that, that was relentless and never let up on you and never spoke a word to you of encouragement and never put his arm around you, encouraged you. If you had a father who you could never please, if, if, if you were running back and you gained 100 yards, well, shoot, why didn't you get 150? If you had a dad like that, you know what he did? He angered you. Oh, and if he's a Christian with a Bible and an elder or a deacon in the church, you know what? When you grow up with a climate like that, with a father who's like that, you want nothing to do with his God. Now, you can go the other way. That would be, and that would, be, that would be a strategy of the devil in the home. Another one would be to be passive on the other side. He didn't care if you're passive or if you're a hard guy. You're just passive. You're never involved. You let your wife do everything. You let her do the discipline. You let her have the final authority. You let her have the say. Now, husbands... Husband, you're the head of the wife. But you just give up because your wife's a little stronger personality and you want peace. You'll never have peace. You'll never have peace. 
And so you just, quite frankly, you just get more and more passive and you withdraw and you let her call the shots and everything. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to anger your kids. It's just not worth fighting. It is worth fighting. It is worth discussing. It is worth confronting in a godly and loving and firm way. But you can't let that slide because you will anger your children. Because intuitively, they know the position you should have in the home. And when you abandon it, and when you give it up, that's going to make them angry. Because you are not giving them the model that you should be giving them, and you're not taking the leadership that you should be giving them to the home. What I'm saying to you guys is that the enemy, this spiritual warfare stuff is just not church stuff. It's home stuff. So what's this? Oh, oh, by the way, fathering? So uh, I'm off the hook. I already raised my kids. No, you're not. Deuteronomy 6. Would you flip over there with me? How many of you guys are grandfathers? Let me see your hands, if you can raise them. The old rotator cuff issue, huh, guys? Got to think twice before you put that arm up. Hurt you. Look at Deuteronomy 6. This is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments. They're getting ready to go into the promised land, all right, after 40 years. This is the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, Moses says, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Watch this. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. I find in Scripture that when your kids leave the nest, your job doesn't end. God addresses his directions not only to fathers, but to grandfathers. It's so that you and your son and your grandson. So you just can't sit here and say, well, gosh, I'm off the hook. No, you're not. You got grandkids? You got a responsibility there. And you know what's interesting about grandkids? They want to be with you. They want to hang around with you, unless you're some hard guy all the time, right? Don't be a hard guy. Now, there are times we got to draw, yeah. But if you're doing that all the time, and by the way, why are you doing that all the time? That's not the way, that's not the way our father is to us. Is it? You got a skewed view there, man. You got to moderate that. You got to renew your thinking with the Word of God here. That's that's not. You know what fathers and grandfathers do? You know the work of fathering is. You get inside a kid's heart. Um, Malachi four, and he when he comes. Last verse of the Old Testament. Didn't we do this last week? And he when he comes. We restore the hearts. The hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. God wants the hearts of fathers and kids like this. But we have an enemy, and what he wants to do is he wants to wedge it. And he wants to separate it. He wants to alienate it. He wants to get mad and angry and all that. And you know, we, that, see, that's warfare. So, so you've got to know what's in their hearts. You've got to talk. And, and listen, you've got to talk about stuff. You just don't talk about baseball. You just don't talk about football. You got to get into some stuff of life. That's the job of a father. But I want, I want, and I'm going to show you that in a minute in Proverbs. But, but I want you to see in Ephesians six four, 
Here's what I want you to see in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. If, if, if there is anger because of harshness or because of passivity or because you have wounded them or if because you have done wrong and not been man enough to confess that you have done wrong, when, when my daughter was maybe eight years old, I remember this very well, I was getting ready to speak at a conference that weekend, and I was doing some new material I'd never done before. There were going to be a couple thousand people at this deal, and I really needed to study that week. And Monday night, I got a phone call from a guy who's told me this story. His life was falling apart. He was in crisis. Could I meet with him that night? I called one of the other guys on the, on the elder board. We went over and met with the guy, spent a couple hours with him, uh, closer to three hours. We wound up, I wound up meeting again with him the next afternoon, and the whole time I'm thinking, I have got to study. I have got to work on those talks. And then uh, Wednesday, there was more crisis and some things. And then I think, I think it was Thursday I found out the guy had been lying to me the whole time. And it was exactly the reverse of what he had told me. And I was not pleased. And I got home Thursday night. I walked in maybe 9.30, 9.45. And I'd stayed later because I was booking, trying to make up for the hours I had missed with his uh, brother. <laughs> I question if he was a brother. <laughs> I was worn out and I was tired and I just had to take a minute, so I sat down and I turned on some basketball game or something. I just needed a, a few minutes to zone out. And then Rachel, who was eight or nine, I remember I was there in the family and she came down the stairs and said, hi, Daddy, and she ran by me, went in the kitchen and ran back. And I said, hi, Rachel. And then a couple of minutes, she came zipping by and went by again, and I'm watching this real important game. <laughs> and uh, kind of seething. And then a couple of minutes later, she came zipping by and zipping by. I said, Rachel, where are you up? It's, it's 10 o'clock. You're supposed to be in bed a half hour ago. She's daddy. I said, no, I don't want excuses. I said, you know what? Get in bed right now. And she said, but dad, I said, I don't want a word. Go. That's pretty harsh with her. And a few minutes later, Mary came downstairs and she said, so uh, how'd things go today? <laughs> you know, she's kind of... And I said, well, yeah, fine. Uh, she got it out of me at some point. She just, I said, I don't tell you, you know that guy I met with Monday and Tuesday? This sucker's been lying to me the whole time. And I'm so far behind getting this stuff ready for Saturday, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. That sucker was lying to me. She said, oh, okay. Now she got it. And she said, Steve, let me tell you, it's true, Rachel was passed. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, you know that science project that I've been working on with her for a week? I said, yeah. And was I helping her with the science project? Oh, not me. I'm a big-time spiritual leader. <laughs> 
or so I thought. Actually, I was a small-time spiritual leader and still am. But nevertheless, I wasn't helping her. Mary was. And I said, yeah, I remember that. Well, she was in carpool today, and after school, Rachel got out of the car, and as she was shutting the door and then going back to get the science project out of the back of the car, the lady drove off and didn't realize it. And we can't contact it. This is before cell phones. And that's due first thing in the morning. And that science, we were upstairs redoing the entire science project. Oh, brother. <laughs> was I angry at Rachel? No, I was angry at uh, Bozo the Clown. <laughs> and I'm still angry at that sucker, to be real honest. No, no. I guess I kind of am. That's called displaced anger. See, I couldn't tell him what I really wanted to tell him. I wanted to blast that sucker. I did. But, oh, no, I'm not going to. I had to be. I, I had to edit, and I had to be nice to a degree. But I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So what do I do? I come home and take it out on an eight-year-old little girl. Now, what do you do when you screw up like that? You go upstairs. You go upstairs. And you deal with it right then. Because I had hurt her, and if I let that keep going, that was going to turn to anger. I had to nip that in the bud. That's spiritual warfare. So I went upstairs. I said, sweetheart, I am, I am, I am so sorry. Mommy told me what was going on, and I didn't realize, and I, didn't, I wouldn't even let you talk to me, would I? She said, no, Dad. I said, well, you know what? I was, Rachel, I couldn't have been more wrong, and I'm sorry I was not clued in to what was going on, sweetheart. She said, Daddy, you're very tired. I said, well, actually, I am. I'll never forget her saying that. She, she, she said, Daddy, you're tired. You're very tired. She, she was giving me an out. I said, well, yeah, I, I am tired, Rach, but you know what? I'm sorry, sweetheart. I was just, I was wrong. Don't say, would you forgive me if I was wrong? You're wrong. Corey Ten Boom once said, the blood of Jesus has never cleansed an excuse. If you're wrong, be man enough to say to your kids, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Gosh, I wish I could get that back. And she said, it's all right. No, Daddy, I forgive you. It's okay. And I said, well, do you need to get up with Mom? Can I help you with it? And she said, well, I'd like to finish. I said, come on, let's finish it. And I tried to help. I, I did. <laughs> They uh, kind of, why don't you go watch the game, Dad? It'd be, <laughs> okay. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed because I can't think straight. I'm tired. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go get some sleep. So I said, I, I, hey, I'm going to hit the sack. I went to bed. And you know what? I couldn't go to sleep because I kept thinking about a little girl. that uh, I could so easily wound and embitter her. So I got up, put my clothes on, uh, went down to the 24-hour Kroger. I got a florist shop there. I got a little bouquet of flowers. I got a card with a picture of a man looking out of a doghouse. <laughs> I bought about 40 of them. <laughs> Just to keep on hand. 
and uh, I put them at her little spot at the breakfast table, and I wrote her a little note. Because I figured I'd ruined her night. I, I wanted to try and make her day. I didn't want to anger her. I couldn't let that pass. Because you see, Christianity is to be lived out in the home, in relationships. So go with me to Proverbs now. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 4. Because remember, remember now, <laughs> we're going to be attacked in our minds. We're going to be attacked in our hearts. Uh, uh, on your way to Proverbs 4, I'm going to give you one more attack. He will attack your fathering and your grandfathering. That's Ephesians 6, 4. Because you see, you see, if you provoke them to anger by being the hard guy, by being the authoritarian, by running your family like a military unit, where nobody can ever talk, and, and there's a point, listen, I know, there's a point where kids won't be quiet and won't obey. I'm not talking about that. I, I think you understand my heart here, don't you? But if it's all the time, there's no communication, and they can't talk, and you won't listen, that's not... Christian fathering. So he will attack you in your fathering. You cannot let him win there. And if he has won there, you need to go get it right. And you need to go repair it. Because let me show you, we're going to Proverbs 4. Everybody's at Proverbs 4 except me. For some reason, I'm just having difficulty these last few weeks. Um, Proverbs 4 begins by saying, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. The book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. But what must be understood is that the book of Proverbs is a father teaching his son about how to live life skillfully. That's the whole context. If you don't believe me, go back to Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, and daughters, if you have them, of course, this would apply to. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. What's going on here? you got a father teaching his son about different issues of life that the son's going to face. If you have daughters, you do the same thing with your daughters. Uh, note, um, or chapter 4, verse 1. Hero sons, the instruction of a father. Look at uh, verse 10 of 4. Hear, my son, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. You see how the Father is connected? They're just not talking Texas Rangers. They're just not talking Cowboys. They're just not talking, gosh, do you think it'll be the Steelers or the Packers? What do you think? Nothing wrong with that. That's fun. You ought to have those conversations. But at some point, you've got to talk about life. You get down into life and what they're going to be dealing with and all this. And he's dealing with all kinds of topics. He's talking about money. He's talking about sex. He's talking about temptation. He's talking about wrong friends. He's talking about right friends. You just coach them through life. Man, I didn't do that. I missed that opportunity with my kids. Well, you've got grandkids now, don't you? Hey, we've all screwed up. So take advantage of the opportunity he's given to you. 
Now, do you recall I said that Satan will attack your heart? He will attack your speech. He will attack your eyes. He will attack your feet. Notice if you would. Proverbs 4, verse 20, once again he says, My son, give attention to my words. Hey, now, by the way, I'm going to say something right here. If you anger them consistently, if they feel that you don't listen, if they feel you're not interested, if you don't care what's going on in their heart and how they're feeling and what they're dealing with, if they feel that way, are they going to pay attention to your words? No. No, they're not. See, they have to know that you love them and care for them and want their best. So you have to tell them and you have to say it. And you have to put your arms around them. And you've got to say, hey, I'm for you. And you're not always criticizing. You're building them up. See, you ought to be safe. As a dad, as a granddad, you ought to be safe. Not toxic, not poisoned, safe. You ought to be the safest man in their lives. That's fathering. You would die for them. You would move heaven and hell for them. You would do anything for them, and they know it. They know it because they've seen it by your behavior and by your actions. And see, when they sense that you're foreign, when they sense you're on your team, and, and hey, kids know, kids aren't stupid. They know when they need to be disciplined, and you discipline them. I remember my dad disciplining. I was a little kid, and he gave me a swatch. You know what I do? I go hug him. Because even though my dad just disciplined me, he was safe. My dad was safe. That's a good sign. You discipline them, they want to hug you. It's okay. It's over. Time's forgotten. Let's go get some bluebell. That's safe. That's good. That's godly. Bluebell. Little humor there. If you're from out of state, you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway. All right, now watch this. Watch verse 23. Do you remember how we started with, he will guard, uh, he will attack your mind, therefore guard your mind? I, I kind of feel like I'm, uh, instead of the direct, I'm going indirect here and pulling things around. We started off by saying, he will attack your mind, so guard your mind. Okay, look at verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Now, I want to read the quote again from Kidner, because the quote is in reference to this particular verse. Listen to this carefully. This word most commonly stands for mind. What word? Heart. Heart. The word most commonly stands for mind, but it can go beyond this to represent the emotions, the will, and the entire inner being. Watch over your heart, watch over your mind, watch over your emotions, watch over your will, watch over your discipline. Watch over your heart with all diligence, or some translations say guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There you go. 
That's why the mind is so, as you think in your heart, as you think in your mind, so will you be. So you have to be careful what you put into your mind. You have to, let's just make some application here. And I'm a virgin legalism for some of you guys. You have to watch what you read. If you read crap, crap's coming out in your behavior. If you watch crud, if you watch stuff that 10 years ago you wouldn't be caught dead seeing, you're drifting. And you, and listen, you better be policing yourself because nobody's policing what's in the media. Nobody. It's called self-control. It's called self-discipline. While I'm there, flip over to uh, um, Psalm uh, 101. We, we used to be able, our, our homes were protection. It used to be, in previous generations, a man's home could be a protection from the world and the world system. No longer because we're invaded through cable. We're invaded through satellite. Look at... Uh, look at um, Look at Psalm 101, verse 2 at the end. He says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And only you police that. So if your wife comes back downstairs, are you switching the channel? If she walks in and you're on the computer screen, are you clicking? You shouldn't need to click. You shouldn't need to erase your history. Say, so, Steve, I'm, I'm caught in this. Okay, you're caught. It happens to good, godly men. So you can't let it keep going. You're going to have to go talk to a brother. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You're not going to beat that by yourself, man. You're not going to do it. It's too strong for you. It's already beaten you. And you'll confess and say, I'll never do it again. You will do it again. So you're going to have to go to a brother who you trust, and you're going to have to tell him, and then you, ch you, you talk about it, and you check in with each other, and you pray, how'd you do this week, how'd you do this week? Uh, you, you sign up for something like Covenant Eyes, and then you get a printout of every website that he's been on. He gets a printout of every website you've been on. It's called accountability. Okay. I, I'm back to, uh, where am I? Proverbs 4. Now, I want you to see how this works. Watch over your heart. Watch over your mind with all diligence, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. You've got to watch what you put in your mind because you don't want to poison the well. You don't want to put crud in the well. You don't want to put toxins in the well. You want to purify your mind with the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is clean, the Bible says. It's clean. It gets rid of all the crud. God, God will filter your mind with the Word of God. I still can't get to Proverbs 4. Thank you, Jim. It's right in there between 3 and 5, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right, watch this. I'm there. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Hmm. Because it will attack your speech. Guard your speech. 
Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Quit being a liar. Tell the truth. So I'm not sure I can break that. You can break it. How badly do you want to break it? Next time you lie to somebody and you catch yourself, just say, excuse me. Um, you know, I, excuse me, you're in a conversation, you know, and say, yeah, I was looking to do it. And you catch yourself and say, you know what, excuse me. You know what, I, I got to just stop right here. That's not true. I just lied to you. It wasn't 10,000, it was 5,000. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really working on not lying, and I just lied to you, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I did, but I did. It wasn't 10, it was 5. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm trying to grow in this area. Oh, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, they think less of me. No, they won't. Oh, no, they won't, because he deals with it just like you deal with it. <laughs> you know, you help yourself, you'll help him. It takes one man to do what's right to make a difference, just one guy. See, he'll, he'll attack you in your speech. Quit, li quit lying to your wife. And, and, and it's in our hearts. We, we're dealing with this stuff, guys. But, but, but we've got, we got to get to work on it by the power of the Spirit of God. If by the, if, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. It's a war. And you have to get ruthless. Okay. And is there plenty of grace? Yes. Yes. But quit excusing yourself and get to work on your stuff. That's how you grow. That's how you develop. That's how you become a better man. That's how you become a better dad, better husband. And you know what? They'll love you for it. And even if they don't, who cares? You're trying to please the Lord. Are you not? Okay. Oh, what was the next one I said? Guard your eyes because you'll attack your eyes. All right, look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead. And let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. So what are you doing? Some chick walks by, some, some gal, or even at church. You know how some of these guys get dressed at church? You want to say, hey, lady, put a blanket on, man. I mean, my gosh. Those aren't, those aren't even yours. Where'd you get those? Jiffy Lube? What's the deal here? My gosh, I'm trying to study the Bible here. And they walk by and they're just kind of, oh my. So what do you got to do? He'll attack you with your eyes. What do you got to do? You got to become a man. You got you to train yourself to do what doesn't come naturally. You want to look, you want to look, you want to You got to train yourself by the Spirit of God to go against what you want to do and, and look away. And steal yourself and look away. It's the eyes. Uh, uh, note the next one. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. 26. Watch the path of your feet. Because he'll attack your feet. And all your ways will be established. You don't turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Or it says in the New Testament, Paul said, flee immorality. So see, one of the, one of the key ways the enemy gets us, guys, whether you're 85 or whether you're 15, he gets you through sexual temptation. And a lot of times what happens to us as guys, 
we've been defeated so long in the area of sexual temptation with our minds, with our eyes, with our hands, with our feet, with our hearts. We've been defeated so long when we're sexually tempted. You know what? We, we, just, we, we don't fight. We just give in. We become, uh, when we're attacked, when sexual temptation comes, do we fight? No, we become like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> no, no, what's it, Pillsbury Doughboy, you just roll over the sucker. When sexual temptation comes, you, you've got to become, you've got to become a linebacker. You've got to become a dick butt kiss. You know, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. You may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the... So he's going to sexually tempt you. What are you going to do? You going to roll over? You got to stop rolling over. Uh, you've seen that highlight film of Butkus? I'm sure. 28 degrees, soldier field. You know, he's got blood all over. He's got snot coming out of his nose. It's frozen on his face. I mean, he's, he's right up there across from that center. You know, he's getting ready to blitz. He's just like this. He was crazy. The sucker looked like a wild man. He was just insane. Somebody asked him one time, have you ever tried to hurt an opposing player on purpose? He goes, oh, no, no. Well, I mean, unless it's a playoff game. <laughs> the guy was insane. He was going to do everything he could do to capture that back. He's right there. He's right there. And it's a trap. If you play football, you know what I'm talking about. You've got nail on trap. So that guard... Suddenly, that guard pulls, and you got an opening. Go, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then that guard's pulling and just sends you into Venus. Just cold cocks you. But if, you, if you've played a little bit, you see, you see that guard pull, and you got the opening. So Butkus, you know, he sees that pull. He steps in, and then, boom, hits that sucker right in the chops. And then that fullback's coming, and he just hits that sucker right in the balls. And then what he does, he grabs that sucker by the face mask, puts him down, and hits him in the gut several times. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. <laughs> but it's a war, guys. Is it not a war? Is it not a battle out there? So, so with the eyes, with these gals walk by, or pornography and all that, you've got to fight it. I mean, you've got you to fight it by the power of God. You don't fight it alone. You take the weapons of warfare. You bear one another's burdens. You get a brother who's looking out for it, and you go fight. So I'm not, well, I, I don't know what to do. These gals walk by, and I just they get my attention. They always get our attention. We, I, I don't know. I, give me a practical step. I'll give you a practical step. Some gal walks by dressed the way she shouldn't be dressed. And all of a sudden, the mind starts going. Instead of looking away, you don't know what, and you just, you're just chugging well, what do I do? Pray for the gal. You know what to do? Just pray for her. Lord, she's obviously dressed like that. I doubt that she knows you. Why would she dress like that? Maybe her father didn't give her what she needed. Just start praying for her. Think about her soul. Not her body. Think about her soul and pray for her. Ask the Lord to do a deep work in her heart. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can't pray and lust at the same time. You can't look at pornography and masturbate at the same time and pray. You got problems with that? And it's just us guys in here, and there's a reason. It's just our guys, and you got to cut off the CD, then cut it. 
that you can't be looking at a gal or an image and masturbating and praying at the same time. So pray for her soul because she's going to be in hell forever if Christ doesn't save her. And you know what? That'll put a damper on that stuff real quick. Won't it? And once again, this is why I'm no longer a pastor. <laughs> but I'm a man and so are you. And we deal with stuff that gals don't deal with, don't we? So we got to talk shop here. Howard Hendricks said, we should not be ashamed to discuss that which God was not ashamed to create, and that's sexuality. And the devil will pervert it. But Christ wants to clean it up because it's such a good gift. Let's pray. Father, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. And others have done worse things than we have, and the only reason we haven't gone there is your mercy and grace, which has restrained us. We could very easily be there. We're not here to beat up on guys. We're here just to acknowledge what we deal with because we're guys. And the enemy knows we're guys and we're susceptible to certain things. This is why we need you. But, but you have saved us from our sin, and you want to continue to save us. But there's an enemy who wants to continue to ruin our lives and destroy us. If we had gone on Proverbs, we would have read about the, 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 the young man who gets involved with the adulterer, and he doesn't realize that he is an ox going to the slaughter. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to slaughter our lives. You want to redeem our lives. <laughs> what a great God you are. What a great Savior you are. Lord, we're all struggling. We're all in over our heads. We can't fight these battles by ourselves, but we don't have to. You fight with us. You fight for us. When we're weak, you're strong. Grow us up. Grow us up. Remind, remind us tonight that we can never, ever be turned away from your grace and mercy. We are astonished at your forgiveness and your loving kindness. It just keeps coming and coming and coming like Niagara. It never ceases. So we revel in that. We glory in it. We count on it. Thanks for your patience with us as we work through this stuff. We can get so down on ourselves, but David said, this I know that God is for me. And we believe that. It's the word of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things.